I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 273 with Rebecca Magic Royal Path Activations. Join the team as we get to know a mystic from Queens, New York City, living in Sedona, who knows how to sync up with archetypes, scours sacred texts for their hidden nuggets, and throws a mean tarot. Welcome and well met. Thank you so much. So awesome to be with you guys. Cool. It's been happening a lot with the intro. It just like cuts out. I'm sitting here. I'm like, I think they've already started. I could be wrong. And then I just leave and come back and we're all good. All right. So uh, welcome, Rebecca. I know we've been having technical glitches and all these kind of Wi-Fi craziness. I can't even blame a Mercury retrograde. It's psychedelic. But um, welcome to Team Rabbit Hole. Glad to have you here. This is episode 273, which would reduce down to uh, Raphael. Did you read the blood by any chance while I was going or no? Cool. See, got to check these things. Uh, 273 goes to uh, three, ultimately, which is the Empress card. It says, I fully embrace life's rich fecundity. And in the Starman Tarot, David DeAngelis has been on a few times. That's her. Everything is possible, including making connections in spite of Neptune conjunct Mercury issues, allowing abundance into your life, tapping into the creative flow of the universe, and starting something nurturing. Raphael, what card are you gotten? Oh, we have got, this looks like the Eight of Wands, actually. This is, yes, indeed, Lord of Swiftness, speed activity, swiftness as that of an express passenger, great haste, great hope, the arrows of love. And I believe oftentimes associated with traveling as well. That is what's up. So I'm curious, Rebecca, between the Empress card and that Eight of Wands, all about launching and making it happen, uh, what sinks are hitting you, if anything's resonating, or if you want to spit some fire on any of that. For sure, I'm seeing both of them, the Empress and the Eight of Wands. The Empress being this manifestation of beauty, of truth, of light, which light and truth are the ultimate beauty because they're a crystallization of, you know, law, codes in pure form. And so I think that with the Eight of Wands matched with that energy, it's saying we're receiving the signs and the inspiration to move toward those manifestations within ourselves, you know, maybe in our gardens. I'm experiencing springtime here in this part of the world, you know, with you guys. And um, to me, it's like the Empress is spring. You know, it's like the universal energies are so aligned right now for us to access that archetype. And all of the signs, Eight of Wands, all of the signs are upon us to be able to, to do that to our fullest potential. Does that make sense? Most definitely. I mean, if you're into astrology, I'm pretty sure you are. I know you're into tarot. Um, the sun is in Aries. The moon is in Sagittarius right now, I think, almost exiting, but Sag still, I think. And uh, 
it is fire. I mean, I've been just kind of thinking about traveling. I'm already in travel mode now, but I'm like, where after this? Oh my gosh, should I settle down? What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. Um, it's very fiery to me. And it, like you were saying, it is spring in the Northern Hemisphere. So it feels just like, uh, I mean, it's not even a week after Mar you know, the uh, spring equinox, but um, it feels just like the buds are popping, the pollen's flowing, the honey's ready to be had, all that kind of stuff. Like it, it's really magical, intense time. Um, Raphael, was there anything that synced up for you? Well, I think the explanation you gave is perfect. You know, eight of wands, as it says, express messenger. So actually, it's a you know very positive message. So <laughs> I concur. Let's say you know, great, uh, great potential, especially I guess uh, under pressure. You know, <laughs> under pressure, and we are under pressure because I'm a little glitchy, at least on my end. But you guys are sounding find yourselves i'm hoping and i'm sure so you're a sun aquarius at 60 degrees that's conjunct my jupiter good job um and it's 11th house holy tits that's pretty exalted right um, i'm a little health uh sun and moon gemini so I, I feel you and that means it's near Raphael's north node in aquarius and you're a moon in scorpio uh which my fiance has that i what i really noticed though is your north node being in um capricorn 10th house conjunct mercury and saturn and you've always had this very kind of, I mean, I don't know your whole story. We can go into it, but you've had this very deep kind of um, channeling and respect, it seems, for more um, uh, Abrahamic kind of vibes, in a sense. Uh, very Saturnian kind of element, very 10th house elements. Um, it seems like you're speaking the Torah energy well enough, or however one would want to put that. So um, before we go too up, up into the, your chart stuff, kind of give us, you know, we, you could be drive-by or you could be as long-winded as you want. We could spend the whole two hours doing it if you want. Um, tell us about where you came from. I mean, you're from New York City. I was born in Overlook Hospital in Jersey side of uh, New York, but uh, in, in Summit, New Jersey. But you're a New York kid, and get us to how, you, how you're doing what you're doing now. Like, walk us through that. And, and like I said, it could be long-winded or, like, you know, call me Ishmael or not. Your choice. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I grew up in pretty much the city, you know, in Queens. A um, lot of major schools around me, buses, subways, uh, busy, busy, busy city. And I was always a really sensitive kid. So everything was very overwhelming and confusing and harsh, really intense, you know, New York City. Um, but I'm grateful to come from that place. It's been quite a few years since I visited and I don't think I'm gonna be going back anytime soon. I feel like I've had my fill, like I paid my dues, you know? And yeah, I was just really sensitive as a kid. I have four sisters, no brothers. So my dad had five girls and um, grew up around women. I'm very close with women that have very tight sisterhood, not just with my sisters, but I find with many, many women, I have a wide network of sisters. And um, yeah, so in New York, I became really overwhelmed by all the stimulation, all of the just pure chaos everywhere. And I would spend a lot of time in my room just drawing. I loved art. I would always draw, draw, draw. Um, I loved the world of art in all of its forms. I was very like uh, alternative thinker as a kid. And I could never find anybody who really resonated with me. I always felt very alone, even in one of the busiest places in the world, right? If not the busiest place in the world. <laughs> and um, I felt very different from my family. You know, like there was something missing that 
I didn't understand about myself. And then flash forward to right before my 19th birthday, I had this experience where my mind opened up like a funnel to this source of eternal truth. It was like a funnel opened up and all the answers to all the questions I ever asked as a little girl were answered. And all the questions I could ask and all the questions I will ever ask were all answered by this initial idea and belief that everything is one. I'm not even kidding you. It was like one person just had to mention to me, everything is one, everything is connected. And my mind just, that was the answer to everything, you know? So then well, my life started shifting. I mean, obviously What's the that? new age kind of concept, what kind of culture were you coming from inherently already? Um, I mean, was this not an idea that was tossed around a lot in the, with the sisters at dinner or whatever, <laughs> namaste? <laughs> really good question. I was raised uh, Jewish, conservative Jewish. So I had a bat mitzvah. Um, we would go to synagogue every weekend, you know, as a kid growing up. And um, I went to Hebrew school, like the whole nine, right? My dad is an Israeli. He's born in Israel. And... Um, yeah, I you know was raised around Holocaust survivors. My grandparents, they're still alive today. What a blessing. Um, but I didn't feel a connection to the divine in my own way. And that wasn't good enough for me. And I remember around the age of 12, I started telling my parents, you know, I don't believe in God. And it was more that I didn't understand it. I mean, if you don't understand, if you don't have any sort of a concept, my belief is that there's no way for you to, to connect with that. Like the universal mind is a, is a psychic connection. You have to develop those higher abilities. Like without that understanding of it, you can't even tap it. It's impossible. It remains veiled. You know, so I grew up with this, you know, pretty religious family, especially considering we, we grew up in America, not my father or his parents, you know. But yeah, pretty religious for an American, American family. But it wasn't my own connection. And I was always really intrigued by all things spiritual, religious, growing up. I knew I was an Aquarius from the time I was very little, an Aquarian son. And so I was fascinated with the Aquarian archetype and psychism and uh, intuition, third eye. All those things really struck a chord with me as a kid because I knew that there was more to this world. But I, I couldn't so Was your community it. not getting into Kabbalah and stuff like that? I mean, sometimes no, you get mystic no. like sex and pockets or whatever so maybe there wasn't some old wise woman saying hey you got the gift or whatever no no <laughs> so there were definitely like gems dropped along the way unintentionally like um you know just wise being surrounded by wise beings receiving those counsels you know those transmissions unintentionally but also there were chabad rabbis that my dad would invite over for shabbat and they wouldn't look a woman in the eye or shake my hand um, really wouldn't acknowledge me, you know, they were very strict, but my dad would sit with them at a table and they would all discuss higher concepts. And I was this little girl watching, you know, from above the stairway, like listening, trying to take in whatever I could, but I wasn't allowed to participate. And so there were little mystical things like this that looking back, I now understand what those dialogues were, you know, but even then I felt that I had a voice to contribute to those kinds of dialogues. I was ready. I wanted to be a part of it, but I never was offered that. So it took me many years you know, when I was turning 19 to have this experience of, you know, the funnel mind and everything started to make sense from there. That was the biggest it's funny that you reference as, It's funny to me that you reference it as a funneling because I'm not Catholic. I was very Protestant. Actually, you're from New York. My grandparents helped found uh, Tim Keller's Redeemer Presbyterian Church. If you heard of that, it's kind of a big deal uh, in Christian circles. But in any event, um, I went to Rome 
2017 and was sitting in in uh, St. Paul's whatever, like um, right outside the Vatican is this like kind of area that's famous, like people, I guess, assemble and listen to the Pope or whatever the fuck's going on there. And I was sitting there and I had a similar fun. I was like, is there alien tech under me? What's going on? There was like a total crowd chakra activation, but I'm not Catholic. So um, anyway, it's funny to me that that was happening too, because I totally get it. And maybe it's because of our 16 Jupiter and your respective sun Aquarius. Maybe there's a certain harmonic there. I don't know if you're into Sabian symbols or um, Dane Rudyard's work with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head uh, what 16 Aquarius is, but I'm sure I can look it up in a second. And we can kind of geek out on that. Um, the other thing that yeah. I think is funny is that uh, it's weird because it's like a both and thing. Um, on the one hand, culture is like, especially Jewish culture tends to identify itself as um, particular as an exception to others. Right. So they're like, you know, even in the extreme example, what you're talking about was like men aren't going to I mean, obviously in a progressive 21st century world, like that's kind of whack, but um, there's reasons for it, I guess, not to defend them, but it's like, you know, a tradition of some kind, obviously. Um, but I've always wondered with like Moses and people like, it's one thing to see the burning bush. How do you articulate that experience to others without like, how, I mean, how do you translate Gnosis to your culture? It's never going to be direct like that. Like, how do you inculcate people with the truth? Uh, you know, quid us veritas, what is truth, right? But it's like, you can have these crazy cultural, uh, you know, see a burning bush or whatever the fuck. And how do you relay that information to others while keeping the potency of the information, knowing that the um, experience won't be translated directly like that necessarily. So it's like, um, kind of, I guess, in a little way, is like the um, the temple design is like, you know, you got the, the front where it's like Gentiles, anybody can kind of chill out. I don't know about Gentiles, but people can hang out out here and then it's like straight up Jews are only allowed in here. And then there's the Holy of Holies where it's like, there's only one dude back there. Um, it seems like there's kind of a revealing kind of um, situation going on. So I'm glad that you, with your Scorpio moon, of course, you were you eavesdropping and listening to these dudes. Um, but I'm glad you got to at least experience um, the other side of it now, because it's not always that people just put, like you were saying, you were saying, uh, you know, like, I don't believe in God. Maybe this religion this is a Cinderella shooter that doesn't fit, but it seems you've kind of overcome that at some level and made peace with it for yourself. Yeah, and that was many years ago. You know, I'm 31 now, and um, I was still in New York at that time. And for me, it was just like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I knew all along. And why didn't anybody confirm this? Why doesn't anybody know this? Why? You know, it was like shocking that there were so many beings around me and none of them were aware or at least revealing that they were aware of the nature of consciousness. I mean, all I needed to hear is that everything was one, the law of one. And that was it. You know, that was it. Everything is one. And from this truth, you can extract all answers. And, and to me, that was just such a revelation. It's been my guiding point ever since is this unity consciousness, you know, despite the way the world looks when it tries to trick you or tell you that things should be this way. If you hold that oneness perspective, you can see the truth beyond the illusion, you know, no matter how comfortable or how strange or how paradoxical, if you really stay true to that, you know, core understanding, then everything is revealed. The essence of everything. There's no hiding, you know. I can dig it. Sorry if you hear all these dogs going berserk. There's like five little baby, no, they're not babies, they're like three years old, guard dogs on this property and they love barking at everything possible. Um, <laughs> Raphael, I wonder if you have any comments on that. I know Raphael wasn't raised religious at all. I was raised Christian. You were raised Jewish. Um, but he was one of the first people to turn me on to like Bashar and kind of unity consciousness thinking whenever I was like tripping on acid. 
uh, or, you know, doing weird shit, um, he would hit me up and be like, oh, bro, it's all one thing. And I'd be like, oh, no, man. Like, I, I'm really hung up with a lot of the uh, religious, not guilt, but, like, the paradigms are so entrenched in my mind that I'm like, how could I be God? Like, I'm a creation. I'm not creator. You know, it's like I still struggle with that kind of stuff. Anyway, Rafa, any thoughts? Well, uh, initially, even when you started speaking, Rebecca, I was like, hmm, it's good, you know, and it's certainly on this podcast, not about whatever I think of the guests, really, unless, you know, appreciating them enough to be willing to talk to them. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, this is good energy. And, you know, there's not much I can add except correct. And I've had a similar experience when I was 21, not going to recount it all now, but also like a revelatory moment. And from that you know, all the Tetris put itself together. And whilst there still can be infinite questions, just as you described, if one stays in a certain frame of mind, either the answers don't matter or they are revealed as they are required. And it's kind of funny or sad how simple it sounds. And it's not always so easy to grasp. But just as you said, if you don't have it, these things are kind of veiled. But just like you said, once you adopt that approach and you kind of stick with it, which maybe takes some diligence, there's not much more to say. <laughs> right. I think also just as you're talking, I'm remembering the part about the fire too and how, because I like that question. I don't want to forget about that. The fire, um, the burning bush. And, and I think to answer that question, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, you guys. Um, in my opinion, all we need to really do to translate it to all different people of all different from all different walks of life is to let them know it's a metaphor. When we bring metaphor into the picture, when we bring metaphor as a perspective that's actually very real, you know, mythology, then anybody can understand. And this is why everything was originally an allegory or a story. You know, this is all one story of creation never ending. And so when we make it, you know, clear that it's a metaphor, it doesn't matter whether it really happened or not. How is it relative to the present moment? What's the moral of the story? You know what I mean? And then anybody can understand. Burning bush. Okay, I'm explaining this to a five-year-old. Hey, honey, you know, fire is the purest form of spirit. So this is like, you know, God coming and saying, what's up? Like, this is a reflection of yourself in wholeness, saying like, I am that I am, reminding you all things are one. Like, it's very simple. You can tell this to a five-year-old or an 85-year-old. You know what I mean? Anybody can relate. It's elemental. It's funny to me that the acacia bush does contain dimethyltryptamine, though. I mean, it gets yeah. weird because it's like the dream. How, you know, are we row, row, rowing our boat merrily down the stream, like in a dream dream, which when I do say like a little more palpable of a thought. Um, it, it, it's tricky with the whole like, you know, I think material reductionists obviously don't believe this, but like with the literalism can be a problem. And that's where, you know, a lot of people just want answers that fit a lot of people. And I'm sure you understand this just coming from Judaism, Christianity is the same way. Want to fit in with the culture. They're not necessarily worried about the experience or the truth of the revelation of the, of the mysticism or the root of the thing. They're more just like, I got to, Hey, I'm Amish. We're going to raise a barn. I'm not going to go on rings from a, you know, or whatever. It's like, they're just trying to jam with the culture. They don't know it to know thyself like the Oracle of Delphi thing. Not everyone's jamming on that cylinder really. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is, but it's weird because I just read the never-ending story with my fiance. Things like Star Wars, where it's like, the, or Lord of the Rings. It's like, maybe, it's tricky because on the one hand, I'm like, is that another dimension? Is the Imaginarium like so vast that we're just you know, in a certain groove of a record and these things are parallel to us and we get inspired by them? I'm not really sure because um, maybe this is just, you know, 12th house Mars Mercury shit, but I'm like, I'd like to think that these things, however symbolic and allegorical they are, are still true but maybe not in the same sense as a, you know, 
we would understand it in this reality 3d but then if you've ever read um narnia books by c.s lewis and stuff i think it's some weird inversion where it's like we tell a story and then we find ourselves in the story we're telling and it kind of just feedback or Boris loops on itself in a weird way so kind of how we choose to dream creates the dream but then there seems to also be dynamics outside of it like yugas and stuff where it's like there's conditions of the Tao that seem to demand certain elements of being at certain times sure um i mean we're not trying to get to the, like the uh, i mean the Tao that can be spoken isn't the Tao or whatever so we're just kind of rambling around the the point here but um no, but i never think i'm trying I to like get the answer yeah so it's like i'm just curious what people think you're smart you're woke you're doing magic it's like what are you what are you seeing on this fucking trail because this is what i'm seeing over here it's like that's what i that's what I, <laughs> I like what you're saying and as I'm, I'm seeing it more like visually in my imagination to me it's just overlapping of timeline cycles the original code spiraling overlapping on itself and it's creating all these different concepts that we want to name and figure out oh dream time waking life da, 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 da. but when you come back to the perspective of oneness like what is the difference between the dream plane and this plane and that plane and that plane that like find the commonality it's the original code it's the original blueprint and we're just in different states of vibration different states of frequency and so we experience that mentally emotionally you know physically in different ways so i think the mind likes to categorize and separate which has a beautiful purpose but sometimes and most of the time we need to rise above to see the bigger picture and understand that dreaming and being awake it's all just different states of the same one and and that that's the ultimate truth it it's all you know no i hear you even in a material reductionistic way which i'm not one uh when scientists look at brain scans of a sleeping person it's not that different than a waking person i mean basically we're lucidly living at all times and it's just a matter of which kind of bandwidth we're kicking into um i don't know for Raphael if you want to say something because he popped on and then disappeared you little libra you what happened oh no i just it was uh a comment when you were speaking i was saying we're beating around the burning bush so yeah the dao that can be named is not the dao of course yes Zing Zhao. <laughs> um it's funny because one of my most pivotal memories ever of my whole life when i was about 10 years old um you would have been born because i was in i'm 85 i'm 36 born in 85 you're born in 91 you're a little younger you're just wrapping up your saturn return it seems so that's always fun um but uh, I went to broad. My grandparents lived in, um, on the Upper East Side, so I was going to Central Park and doing all this shit for all the time, like all the time, checking out New York. We went to Les Mis or fucking Rob on Broadway when I was like ten, and it reminds me a little of the end of that. I don't know if you know the musical, where it's like, yes, you have Eponine's theme, and yes, you have you know Marius and um, Cosette singing and all this stuff. And at some point, it becomes like multi-dimensional and holographic with like the one day more kind of montage or whatever. Um, where it's like every theme is very real and different and distinct it has different modality and different harmonic structure different kind of uh symbolic uh direction with the narration and the in the theme like eponine is not singing the same thing as cosette being happy in love but it's all happening at once and then sometimes we have <laughs> visions of that kind of all at once if that makes any sense hamilton did a similar kind of thing i think um with one of their songs where it's just like you know it's like only a schizophrenic can track all these tracks but um, yeah, it, it's amazing because it's it's humbling because I guess Raphael's presupposition was is more or less I can't speak for him like we're choosing to dream this, so it's like whether it's Hiroshima's or Holocausts like you know or or Donald Trump's or whatever like all the crazy weirdness that can happen, um, we're actively participating in it and it reflects us in some way. We've talked about this on many episodes before when like Epstein Island and stuff was kind of popping, 
it's like on the one hand we tend like you know whatever people uh, and it's it, we get into like what is right and wrong and stuff like this it's like okay on the one hand that's not ideal and that's not a path i want to take obviously but i can't deny that i'm at least quantumly entangled with that whole situation if not it's a reflection of my subconscious and some greater weird way i mean it's the, a trip. the real because the real issue becomes again in many different ways if you try to ignore these things away and don't in a sense own them doesn't mean feeling guilty for it but understanding this reflection game then actually you're also disempowered from changing it this is my understanding and that's the big issue also with many religions or all kinds of belief systems that again they paint an enemy picture or whatever but that actually is you again splitting yourself just as you said all is one fundamentally and only with that understanding i can change all that is one but if i don't believe it myself then i am still connected and still one but the effect doesn't arrive anymore because we are in a sense also you know uh, powerful creators or uh, you know contingent upon that belief and then we are basically through culture you know imbued in a sense of disempowerment by being told that we are cut off from everything you know from each other from and even from the spiritual concepts and so on but that's yeah, this is, I would that's say, what this is. That's highest excitement, right? I guess. See, that's what trips me out. It's like, we're asking to be ignorant. We ask to forget, I guess. Of course. It's, it's of course. But then still, whilst I'm right. you know, recognizing this, I can still then choose right here, okay, do I want to keep forgetting or do I want to start remembering? And that's, again, a new choice in each and every now. Because I would say the one other thing with the all is one would also on different levels be the idea of the supremacy of free will. I'd be curious as to what would you say about that, Rebecca? Unity and free will. Um, yeah. So I believe that, yes, we obviously have free will, which is our gift, you know, so that we can choose to come to this place again and again. Like I said, actually, a few moments ago, there's, of course, a divine purpose for everything that exists. So in separation, there is beauty. You know, that's distinction. There's a purpose to that. And so we fall to rise again. You know, we we chose that. We want we don't want to just be blind servants. And I don't believe that the creator wants us to be blind servants either, to be blindly obedient. You know, we don't want that. We're driven beings. We want to multiply the light. And so that takes the, that challenge. You know, we have to figure it out on our own, sort of like babies learning to walk. We have to make that choice to return, to remember. And it's every moment. And so I think that our free will, our greatest purpose for the application of our free will, which the tarot uh, unfolds for us, you know, paints a picture for us of this, is we are meant to direct our free will for the ultimate purpose of bringing heaven to earth, which means, you know, multiplying the light, essentially, because what, what, is, what is heaven? You know, it's a whole other topic. But like, you know, the, the light is eternal and we have opportunities through our being and through our consciousness to multiply that light. And so what is a better purpose for directing our, our free will? You know, we want to make that choice to be patient, to be kind, to be honest, especially when it's hard, you know, because it's all a matter of vice to virtue. It really is. Like you said, we are contributing to wars. Of course we are. But what really matters is that internal order, that internal structure, those morals, those codes, because then we're doing our best which is all we can do. And if we follow, you know, those, those codes, those morals, then we're, we're doing our best with everything, with our purpose, you know, of bringing heaven to earth, literally, you know, like, and then we can't, 
connect with the frequency of those things anymore, like war or all these things. But see, coming out, it sounds funny. Like, oh, another Sedona girl just saying, don't connect with those frequencies, you know, just be truth, be love. And, you know, you won't resonate with those things. But it's, it's literal science. And the problem is people laugh at it because they don't believe it because they themselves have never applied their will so diligently in such a structured way, prioritizing the goal of bringing heaven to earth. I don't know many people who do that. Do you? Not as, I mean, just, just briefly, I, 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 I want to jump in, <coughs> sorry, jump in briefly. That is an incredibly interesting point because the whole, let's say, metaphysical starter kit I got was after having these revelations and so on was through Bushar. I'm not sure if you even know about Bushar, this channeler. Have you heard of him? Um, yeah, also made, people, say again? A lot of people tell me about him. They say, you seem like a lot like Bushar. <laughs> oh, that's, well, that's generally also, you know, big plus in my book. The only thing is that also recently, there's a big discussion on the, let's say, heretic groups in terms of what's exactly happening to him because some of his statements regarding health and so on are off from what he said for over 30 years. It's a bit very strange. Um, but the point I just want to get at, the basic metaphysical package that you get there is, you know, universal law and very basic formula of understanding how your beliefs construct your reality. Um, and then it is always said that if you actually do that and in this case follow through acting on your excitement taking it as far as you go without any insistence or expectation what the outcome ought to be with integrity acting on fear and not love and then repeating the same process it can not only be the organizing principle but also the driving engine of your own life and the idea is from what they share is most people they told this to if they actually applied it this is the result they got and the result that I see from whatever I'm telling people or channeling or doing is also that I would now say anyone that actually took this to heart and applied it with this diligence you mentioned gets some kind of positive result. And what I never really considered is the idea that many people for whatever reason, however this works, never even mustered up, and I don't want to judge this, but the strength or the will to actually just test it out because it's just like an experiment. You just test it, you go as far as you can, you see what happens, you stay neutral, you stay in love and unity consciousness, and usually you get something to work with. You can hone your skills on that level and get more in sync with yourself. But I never even really considered that for many people, they may have been maybe too afraid even. This is probably mm -hmm. the actual point. Too afraid to see how powerful they actually are, you know? <laughs> Good point. And I think beyond afraid, I think let's expand that even farther. I think there's all kinds of responses to that. I think people have all kinds of veils that are tailor fit to their experience. So really there are infinite responses and there are so many responses that would invoke such a response to be like, you know, I, I, you know, make excuses as to why they don't understand this or, you know, make fun of it, belittle it. It could be for so many different reasons. It's their own karma. Who knows, right? So again, it's like even that is like a distraction from us staying present and doing our best because the second we start to look at that path, now it's now we're coming out of our own center, you know? Well, it reminds me of, uh, I mean, I'm not Catholic or anything, um, St. Stephen, right? Stephen is like basically channeling crazy shit and like talking to God or whatever and all these dudes, uh, Saul of Tarsus, one of them, uh, stoned him to death or he opens their jackets so they kill him and he's like channeling or whatever and that's not a good look, but it's all part of a story. It, I don't want to say we demand tension. 
have a good story, but it seems the tension creates more dynamic or something like that. At least it has been the case for a while. Hopefully we can kind of transcend that. Another thought that came to mind while we're talking about this Emperor's Card episode, um, obviously we've all got a lot of fire in our bellies to talk about this stuff. Um, it's like nested Russian uh, dolls or whatever they are, where it's like we're always held by the thing, but it's a matter of like expansion, and then you pop into a new doll. and it's, I mean, it's when are we not in grace in a weird way? It's like even a black hole is grace, even Lucifer, you know, whatever. All of it's all, it's, it's part of the dream. This is amazing. It's all in love or, you know, energy as you were putting it. Um, but it seems like you were saying that some people, I, I don't want to presuppose that it's always will. I think it's just like, you know, you don't expect um, a five-year-old to run a triathlon or whatever. It's like some people are just at certain places in their journey and maybe they're not able or equipped. I mean, I think Paul himself was like, you know, you give baby food to babies, you give steak, I'm a vegan, but whatever you give meat to things that can chew it. Like actually, and I, and I don't think, you know, it's with those that with, with eyes to see and ears to hear kind of thing. It's like certain things are just going to drive right by certain people just because they're not tuned into the right thing. And, and it's not a problem in a sense, but it's, uh, it's just, I guess, where they decided to be. Um, I don't want to get, we could keep talking about what happened. So you're 19 years old, you get this funneling experience. I mean, we could cop, pop in and out of everything. I, just, I do want to get to like how you're in Sedona. Um, so did you go to school? What happened? I mean, that's obviously a major trip when you're like, holy shit, we're all one. And that's kind of a degree in itself right around that age. So how'd you, how'd you escape New York? Well, I wanted to get out of that field my whole life. Um, I didn't like school. I really didn't like school, uh, especially when I got to like end of middle school, high school. It was the worst. It was so uncomfortable, so terrible. I went to a very busy, busy, crowded high school and it was just not for me. It was just not for me. And again, I couldn't find resonance with anyone really. Um, but then when I had that shift, I was already in college. I was going to a community college, a really good one. It was awesome. I had a lot of fun. I particularly enjoyed English and psychology. And um, that's about it, actually. That's about it. That's what I enjoy. And, um, and I was always a writer, so I continued writing. I'm still writing today, obviously, you know, but I wrote a lot in college. And then when this happened, I had this experience I will never forget, I was in my last college class I attended, it was English, and the teacher, the professor asked, you know, what is innocence and can it be lost? And that was such a good topic for where my head was at at that point with all these realizations and everything. And I remember just having the best dialogues that day with the entire room. And then I left and I was no longer in school. I chose to stop. Um, I chose to save up a bunch of money and um, I knew I was going to get out, right? But I didn't know when or how, and I had always been a server. And so I knew how to stack money in New York, you know, just serving. And I love people. I'm a humanitarian. It's very easy for me to deal with people. I love all people. So I was serving at this super easy place, super easy to work. I basically didn't have to use my, my brain at all at this place. And so I had just learned the Gayatri mantra, actually, in Sanskrit. And I just started chanting it in my head all day I was fasting a lot. I learned about fasting just intuitively, like straight from my inner wisdom. I was guided through this long fast. That's a whole separate conversation, but I was fasting. I was working at this place. Didn't have to use my brain, inserted the mantra again and again. I would go outside, get the sun while I would be, you know, repeating the mantra. And then the perigee, the first perigee moon in 18 years was coming. 
supermoon. And I knew I had to leave New York for that night. I was like, this is it. So that day I saw an Arizona plate, the day that I made this realization that the perigee moon was coming. It wasn't there yet. But that day I had the realization I saw an Arizona license plate and I had never like actually saw one before. Like if I did, maybe it just passed me by, right? Wasn't resonating. But I saw it and I said, wow, that is cool. Like it's a sunset on the license plate. That's beautiful, you know? And later that night I saw two more license plates, Arizona plates. And I thought, oh God, I'll go to Arizona if that's what you're asking, but you got to make it clear, like where Arizona's huge. Like I'm looking at a map and I'm like, I've never been there. It's huge. And then I get a message from somebody inviting me to a gathering in Arizona. And I said, wherever this person mentions, I'm going to go there. And he said, Sedona. And I was like, okay. I knew nothing about Sedona, had never been anywhere close to Sedona. Um, I bought backpacks and some supplies and plane tickets for my best friend and uh, my son's father. And I said, here's your stuff. I'm leaving tomorrow. You can come with me or you can throw it in the garbage. Don't, don't even care. I won't take it personally, but I'm leaving. Like, this is it. I told my family I'm leaving. And I got that one way ticket and pretty much never looked back. <laughs> and the magic like never ended. So what year yeah, was I mean, it was, was that pre-2012? That was 2010. Yeah. Um, my son was actually born in 2012. But yeah, there was, there was so much too. I mean, landing into Phoenix, I had this premonition that's still today coming true. I spoke it to my friends and like, it's just still unfolding. Um, the magic never stopped and it just increased. You know, I mean, coming to the desert, it was psychedelic. Just, just breathing in the desert air and feeling it. I was like, I'm home, you know, and here I am all these years later. I have yet to be to Sedona ever. I, I'm, I usually live in Colorado for the past 10 years traveling right now, but uh, I haven't been there. My mom went through. She's not that she's traditional, more or less. And uh, she's like, oh, I think you'd like it here. And she sent me this magazine with like, you know, all these readers and alien tours and shit. Um, we've got <laughs> a few people, um, Alexandra Mazone, Isabella Green, a few people. Uh, light star i think she's out in sedona there's, there's a few people we've had from sedona so i know it's got a lot of energy it attracts a lot of moths to the flame as they say um i'm curious and if you don't want to tell us you don't have to pearls the swine kind of thing but um what is the vision that you had landing in phoenix like what's that entail exactly <laughs> so expansive there's so much but to just kind of summarize there was a lot about the future of our planet the future of the earth you know, a lot of events that I saw that have already occurred and that are, you know, it's predictably going to occur. <laughs> Just like really obvious stuff that wasn't as obvious consciously then, but showed up in the vision and is now today very obviously on the way, stuff like that. I won't get too specific. Um, but yeah, and also things about my personal life and the consciousness of this town, Sedona. Um, and then, like I said, to this day, there's there's just more and more confirmation. One piece I could share with you in detail is a lot of people say that the land in Sedona is too powerful and that they need to regularly leave that, you know, in in the old times, the sages wouldn't live on the land. They would live outside the land. And the thing is, we're evolving. We're shifting. There's so much shifting. And I believe that everything is perfect. 
Number one, everything's always in divine order, perfect. And number two, if we're shifting and the frequency of the land is shifting, what was true then is of course not true now. And I personally find it hard to leave Sedona. I find it, I wanna run right back as soon as I leave town. So I feel quite the opposite. And I feel I'm certainly, of course, here for a reason. Everything for a reason. That's what's up. So I'm curious, when did you, uh, you said you were kind of keen, at least peripherally aware at one point of your uh, astrology was going to Sedona kind of the, the you know, penny dropping on all the occult kind of mysticism stuff or like how did you tinker into Tarot and Kabbalah and all these kinds of things? You were mentioning the perigee moon. I'm not even that hip on moon phases. I probably should be more. Uh, I think it's a little maybe easier for women. I don't want to be sexist, but it's like, I don't ovulate. So I don't really sync up with the moon or anything. Um, so it's a little out of my awareness. Typically I'm like, oh, full new moons, gotcha. Otherwise, that was one thing I noticed about your, um, you're reading you're always like okay it's first quarter square or you know whatever like these you're going through the faces pretty discreetly um how did you start tuning into that magic well um i would say i was always really tuned in to the magic i mean even as a little girl but the you know the more i grew through my experiences and studied self then i began to understand from many different angles what my vision always has been so it's more just been like understanding and refining my abilities that were always there and sedona super amplifies everything so i believe then that it's true that it amplified my already very psychic process and um it's sort of like that same energy i always felt but concentrated and supported by a community that's all very much there you know in their own ways and, um, you know, when you have less, first of all, when you have less um, people living on top of each other, <laughs> more open land, more open space, there are a lot less factors in the way, a lot less of a veil. So, of course, you know, also being supported by the community, my unique aura was able to be, you know, was able to radiate so I can be seen more and I can then see myself clearer through the reflections around me. You know, so of course, Sedona being the supportive frequency to my own frequency, it just blew up into this whole other thing. Uh, my mom came to visit me years ago and for the first time she said, this is your home, I get it, you know? Um, so I definitely feel like it amplified my psychic abilities. I always was really into spiritual arts. Um, I got more and more into tarot as I got older and began to understand how it related to my unique vision, the way I see things. And certainly all of my esoteric studies have continued to deepen my tarot practice. And tarot to me is life. Tarot means royal path, it's all of life. So my practice with tarot has deepened as my practice with myself has deepened you know i've started this initiatory process that now is never ending and there are times where it's small you know initiations and then there are the moments where i go through bigger ones where it's like i see a back door within the system somehow and it's a whole other world you know i have these initiations often and um yeah, they sort of became my friends and I started to understand their their profound technology, the way that they really work and operate. And it's like they're my, you know, my best friends. <laughs> like it's it's such a cool tool because it's it gives you 
a very physical material outlet to be able to use the elements uh you know for the highest good of course you know but just like the magician card has the elements on the table the tarot are like our tools these cards with these images on them they become a really easy way for us to activate those parts of self and work with them you know it's like just a concise system it's like if you were to take all the energies of everything and summarize it into these archetypes in this deck and then they're yours to play with in your hands well said um when i i do tarot and oracle cards and stuff and i'm always i how to put it um I mean, right around 2012, I started doing psychedelics and kind of seeing, like, oh, there, she's a Leo rising. Oh, my God, that's a Capricorn. I can just see it. So I can't really explain it to people. Like, astrology, it's like, if you want, like, an argument or whatever, it's like, oh, the moon affects lunacy and tides and menstrual cycles and stuff. And if we're water, how do you think, you know, you try to come up with these, like, pragmatic solutions for people to get into the thing. Um, as far as tarot goes, I've always been like, uh, it's like a comic book and we're young and projecting ourselves into the story and we chopped it up and it's like you're picking up an image and it's going to trigger a bunch of stuff. That's a very simplified, material, reductionistic kind of explanation. So it's almost psychological. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if you're in, like, do you think these things came from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth and like in Egypt? Like, how do you think, because it seems like, um, you know, the cards have existed for a while. There's kind of a debate, I guess, in terms of their origins. They started really popping hard in medieval Europe. Crowley has his own deck. I've got the Starman Tarot deck, which I think is a new kind of utterance of it. Um, where do you think the energies are? Like, do you think there was always an Eight of Wands archetype and now we're just embodying it? Or are we, you know, growing wider and, and because of the, uh, more vocabulary, we have further articulations? You kind of see where I'm going with all that. Um, any kind of music yeah, yeah. you want to sit on uh, in terms of historicity slash where does it come from? Where does it go combat Joe shit? Yeah. So um, I believe that it was just, you know, long ago and the farther back you go, we were more connected to these truths, these morals, these codes, these laws, which are inside of us. You know, we were more attuned to them, more aware of these archetypal wisdoms. Um, and so I think that being so in tune, it was easy for somebody to say, well, I'm going to try to you know, somebody interested in, in, in psychology, you know, like a, you know, it doesn't really exactly matter who, when, where, when we're talking about the archetypes, because they exist outside of a realm of time and space anyway. So I don't care who created it, because the one created everything. I could go, just go straight there and feel fulfilled, because that fortifies my oneness consciousness, my oneness perspective anyway, which is everything, the key to all, right? So with that said, I believe that all of these cards are just personifications of laws that are fundamentally operative. And these laws were known at the beginning of creation because they were created by the creator. So the creator created the tarot. You know what I mean? And and so, yes, the eight of wands. It's almost like circuitry. The, it's like this circuitry has that algorithm and it's always going to be there. And now we articulate it in a symbol set for our culture. So it's like, ooh, yay, right or wait or whatever. Um, clearly, right or wait, it's not that. It's relatively recent convention, if you want to put it that way. But the algorithms or the circuitry has always been embedded fundamentally to reality, you're thinking? Yeah. So the thing is, it's like the, it's like literally a summary of all of the frequent because there are original frequencies, right? Like you can can consider the Sephi road and the tree of life. That's just like the pattern of the first, you know, the first light of creation. And so each of those has a different um, it's like they're each a different keynote of the original song of creation. Right. 
And so everything then that you see in creation is an overlapping that original blueprint. So then that original blueprint, that code, that tree of life is then back of all things. And so we can summarize anything in this reality or in any dimension of reality um, into one of these laws or one of these cards. It's like organizing all of life. We're all tarot masters, essentially. We all have all answers within us. But when you learn the sequence and the order, it gives you that tool to organize everything, your thoughts, your energy. It, it gives you that opportunity to organize it and then it flows more smoothly. And then you have realizations at a greater rate and you, you start to use them with more purpose. You know, it's like, it's a never ending thing. It's a positive feedback loop. Um, it's funny because there's a really, really good video. I'm gonna try to get the guy, Robert Bonomo, I think his name is something like that. He has a um, video that's like two hours, 45 minutes called the 21 Faces of God. I'll send you a link at some point. It's really fascinating. Kind of like, oh wow, the Greeks were doing all this stuff with Pythagoras and then tripped out into uh, major, a major icon, I mean, 21 faces of God. So, um, but he was kind of saying at the beginning, it's like people, the Kabbalists are like, don't even fuck with this until you're 40, until you've like lived your life and like pursued everything. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Um, I'm not saying I agree with it or not, but it seems like it's a super initiatory phase. If you're more worried about like how much hay bale will I have this week or who's my Zipporah or whatever, um, you might not pursue the tree of a burning bush the same or whatever. So it's been kind of this one of these things where it's like only step on the path when you're ready, I guess in some abstract way, everybody steps on the path when they're ready or whatever. Um, but I'm kind of curious if you found that, uh, you, like you were saying, you turned on to this stuff and it started getting more and more compressed, like in a sense, like more and more potent. Um, at some point it almost feels um, at times, I mean, it's like tsunamis at times it trickles, but it, it's like, like reading the script of the matrix kind of it's like oh wow i can see how the subsets of reality and how these dyna dynamos are working um did you have any thoughts in terms of um <laughs> how to approach tarot? I, I don't ever really suggest people to get into it but i'm all about it if that makes sense i'm like if you feel called you're gonna do it and if you it's kind of like an instrument or something like that it's like if you want to do it cool but don't do it for the chicks man or what you know it's like that it's like some people are like i'm gonna play guitar to get laid it's like that's probably not the right path uh, or whatever, right? So it's like, there's probably, you know, if you're trying to do this to like be a witch and like really witchy, I don't know, it's not a bad place, but it's like, it might not be the right motivation. Anyway, any any thoughts you might have on that kind of- aspect? Yeah, I think that, I think that people have their motivations and intentions and they can only help to come from where they're at, you know? So I think that somebody might, you know, it, it really depends where they're at with their balance of like the skills, you know, the vices and the virtues, because, unless a person is, you know, has really has those scales tipped toward virtue, they're going to be acting from a, a lower nature or a, a more harmful intention than one that is going to serve all creation. You know what I mean? So I really believe that tarot can only, it can only even be, it can only be accessed even when you have a pure intention. And that's a secret hidden within the very most important card, the fool card. You, you will only see what you're ready to see, right? That's like a law of nature and it's, it's, it's science even. It's like you've heard before, the goddess will only reveal her beauty to you if you have reverence and you respect. It's like our consciousness can't resonate with that truth, that, that purest light of the truth because it's virtue. And if we don't have a virtuous frequency, we can't touch that. You know, we, we, it's impossible. And so I think that there's a built-in protection system just as there is for all of life. Because again, tarot is the royal path of life. That's what it means. So there's a natural system of protection. So I don't worry because there's never any good that comes from that. I'm not gonna sit around and worry 
about, you know, oh, this person using dark magic. No, I'm just going to do what I can for myself and, you know, continue on my path. <laughs> I guess that's the only thing we can do. Um, and I well, think that like, you really got to ask yourself, like you know, where am I coming from? Like, like sexuality, like, like there seems to be alchemical phases, and I'm just wondering if you, like how to put it. At one point you were saying, oh, maybe the rabbis can only say this, and then now it's to everybody or whatever. Just like, I guess, at some point your endocrine system or whatever, you know, glands secrete certain fluids, and that creates uh, pubescence, I guess you could say. Um, it's a potential in everybody, but it doesn't get activated until a certain point. And I'm thinking that's more or less how this kind of stuff works, where it's like everybody has this in them but you really have to be at a certain phase of development for it to even initiate. And then it turns into kind of handling the fire. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that's fine. And I think also you have to really, um, you, you, you can't have any preconceived ideas about it. And a lot of people have a lot of preconceived ideas about it, you know, which is why I love the Hebrew deck because the Hebrew letters of the alphabet work the same way beyond these letters and these images or these symbols, these uh, frequencies are just that, they're frequencies, they're vibrations. And the only reason we use letters or shapes or even sigils or runes or anything is to have some sort of a bridge, but you ultimately don't even need that bridge. You know, you get to a certain degree where you don't need that bridge, you don't need even a card. You know, but that's why I dig the Hebrew letters because it opens people's minds up a little bit more. There, there are a lot of uh, negative ideas around the word tarot you know, and um, so I think that one really needs to ask oneself before they start playing with the cards, which really just means consciously utilizing the different parts of our awareness. <laughs> Once one starts to do that, you got to ask, what are my intentions? Because that's really the ultimate question every moment beyond a deck of tarot cards. It's like, th this is all that life. And we need to ask, what is my intention of using this? Because really the intention should go all the way to serving the collective. Otherwise, your decisions are never gonna be sustainable anyway. So who cares? Might as well go all the way. Go big or go home. Right, it's an Empress card episode. And I, the thing that came to mind just now is Game of Thrones, like the different queens, although they're not empresses. It's like, I don't know if you ever watched that show. It's not the best show ever. It's not bad, but it's whatever. Uh, I'm good having seen it once, let's put it that way. So I probably won't read the books. Um, but like, there's a fire dragon, the ambition lady. There's a lady who's kind of like a cold hearted, you know, queen of swords type, uh, seriously or whatever, who's just like, I'm gonna blow up cities and drink wine and have fun. Um, it seems like these are all kind of, not deviations, but um, the intentions. I, I think what you're saying, it's funny because one would presuppose that like, you know, we're all like childlike, you know, innocent or whatever. We're such more weird and distorted than we might presuppose. Um, because I don't think, I think most of us are much more selfish than we realize. It's like, I want to be comfortable. I want to get paid. I want to do this, that, the other. you know, it's like people want to feel good and it's not bad, but it's like, we seek that pleasure, that easy button so readily that maybe um, virtue has been lacking and whether it's a, a Kali Yuga thing or whatever, I'm not sure where we're on the Sephiroth. Um, but it seems like for a long time, I wasn't even capable of understanding reality at a certain heart chakra level. Like I could dissect it with my mind and maybe understand it in certain co you know cause and effect and all this kind of stuff. But it's like, now I have compassion for my, like psychedelics have really helped with that. Magic and tools of magic have helped with that. But in some weird way, it's like, I mean, it's like Moses' story in a sense. He's like, oh yeah, you're born to Egypt and you've got all this power, but it's not, or Joseph, maybe he's a better story, forget Moses. It's like, you're a dreamer, you got the magic, you got the shine, good job. And it's like, but your culture doesn't respect you and you're, no one gets it. And you're gonna have to pay your dues, fucking Freddie Mercury style up in the uh, the well and go through the whole Bible story or whatever the fuck. Um, 
ultimately that magic was always there, but we have to be humbled in some weird way, it seems. Um, that's kind of the power of Gandalf. It's like Saruman is not humble, and look where that goes. And Gandalf has just as much power, and Galadriel, and all these people, but they've like learned to kind of temper it. That's why she's like, oh my god, I could be this crazy queen if I wanted to, but I'm, I'm going to chill on that. It's like, I know I have the power. Anyway, I've got a ranting, Gemini Life. Um, but yeah, no, Tarot is, is one of these things that um, I wasn't even trying to get into it straight up. Like right around the time I talked to Raphael, 2012, 2013, I was having like a fling with this girl that was much younger than me. Like I was 28 and she was like 18 or 19 or something, which is the only time I've ever really done that. And I was just turning on to astrology and being like, Oh, I think this stuff shit's real. And kind of during pillow talk that came up. And then like a few months later, she hit me up and I was like, Oh God, hopefully this isn't a problem. And she's like, I've converted to Jehovah's witness or something crazy. And she's like, do you want my tarot books and all this stuff? So, she, so I got like zombie tarot deck unopened and all these crazy shit. And I was just like, yeah, let's fuck with this. So my path really started just kind of being like, I'm going to pull one for the morning, one for the day, you know, midday and one for night and see if it vibes. Like, did this actually happen? Like, all right. Um, so it wasn't even that high magical. Like, you know, when you start talking about, oh my gosh, the magician, and he's looking at down at the stuff. And once you start realizing as above, so below, as within, so without, it can get very crazy really quickly um rafael uh what what is your relationship to Terrell? i don't really know how you ever got into it now that i think about it well um basically for whatever reason i mean what's what i found interesting as you mentioned the early identification with the zodiac sign because that's one of the few let's say magical remnant esoteric remnant items that are allowed in popular culture yeah, yeah, but that are even like allowed if you're in a you know more sober family or something. No one's running around with tarot cards, but you may hear some reference to the zodiac. So I think that's an interesting entry point overall. Um, so maybe somehow through that or whatever other things, I got a Crowley deck at like seventeen, didn't understand any of the symbology and was just like, this looks real cool. Which one is my card? But I have no idea what this means, <laughs> and. Then after having these revelatory experiences, I just realized it was just obvious to me because I had read and seen enough that tarot is an obvious tool to get into. So then for like maybe two years or whatever, I played around it almost every day. Now I'm actually not using the deck so much. So I got inspired as you were talking, Rebecca. I was like, hmm, next time I feel somehow strange, why am I not just pulling out the cards? You know, it's always a good solution there, you know, or some good reflection, right? Simple things, you know, best uh, best psychiatrist, you know, if, if you know how to, uh, you know, or are willing to love yourself, let's say. Um, so yeah, I got into it, um, used it quite a lot. I even used it a lot for channeling, um, both normal tarot, angel cards, and galactic tarot cards. And I guess it's just great to, you know, one other tool to make your consciousness visible to yourself and to just play around with these archetypes and maybe even learn about, you know, even the variety existing within yourself. If you, you know, approach it with the proper frame of mind, then I think it's really, you know, it's like getting to know yourself, know thyself, you know, all these aspects, all these energies, and also understanding in the tarot in particular, just to give one tidbit, understanding it's a cycle, it's a journey, but also it's a fractal journey and it's all usually repeating. And the thing that I like to say is once you've been through once through whatever thing you consciously experienced the first time or able to piece it together, basically next time, in a way, it's going to be the same. It's never the same, but you know, there is a cyclical path and there are certain energies you're going to come across. And once you're accustomed to them, the next time the devil shows up, you're certainly not going to be scared. 
you know you're gonna know what it means you're gonna know what's come before you're gonna even know what's gonna be coming after which is pretty interesting i think if you can see it in a like template fashion so yeah it's one of the most amazing tools ever and i guess before taking the book anywhere i take a deck of cards you know to the lonely island so yeah <laughs> word yeah um it's just yeah. always fascinating to me how people get into this stuff because it's i think there's and it's not like better or worse, but it seems like some people are like Jedi's and some people are just like, you know, Jar Jar Binksing it. And it's like, well, there's a big difference. Um, but whatever, it's all good. Um, so I'm curious, Rebecca, living in Sedona, um, what, like, are you into aliens? Uh, like, what kind of workshop, you know, not to get all cliche, but it's like, how do you fit in in that area? Because I haven't been, but I mean, I think there's vortexes, so they say, things like this. So um, how are you jamming on that area? And then I have some maybe questions about other things, but we'll get into that in a second. I guess I would say I'm really not particularly into aliens. If there was a, you know, a conversation that came up about it, if there was some way that talking about it was going to be helpful for the whole, then I might partake in that conversation. Um, you know, it really depends. I'm game to talk about anything. I'm as long as it's with a focus, with intention. Um, generally, the conversations here are very. <laughs> far out. So the general collective consciousness here is supportive of kind of staying in this archetypal realm of awareness. Um, so it makes it easy to live in that magical world. But I think everybody here is so different. It's not like we're all just a bunch of, you know, alien loving hippies or something. We're all very unique individuals with unique stories. Um, and the way that I see everything is archetypal. You know, I see in basically tarot cards, I see in symbols. And so when I look around and I feel around, I'm feeling and seeing and perceiving the general theme or even the order of the ar different archetypes, because they're all always present, but I'll see like the, you know, the, the most um, strong archetype in any given situation. And then I'll see the way in which the archetypes have combined to form that overall manifestation or the overall picture so when i look around i see in tarot and because in sedona the veil is already so lifted it's very easy to just maintain that vision that perspective nice just because i think that's one of the most fun things about you know really getting into tarot and really getting into the depth of it is just like you said you almost then can start or can switch this modality to live like in an augmented reality where you know i don't see numbers anymore it automatically or even words they get calculated or something and then archetypes appear and i'm just like oh there is a there is a fool there there is an empress over here you know and oh that's a you know five of swords energy very interesting and it yeah <laughs> i mean it gets real trippy real fast but how how was it for you was it like Im i mean immediate or um did you learn about it and the world started constructing itself because for some time i was kind of dreaming that such a world would be possible but i remember states and it's you know just a willful shifting now that you can really live in that 
but it's a conscious layer of reality that you put in. Maybe there's anything more you'd like to say about it, because I think it's fascinating. It's almost, it's better than the video game, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to remember my volume again, because this double microphone thing is really annoying. I don't want to hear myself. Can you guys hear me, though, still, if I do that? We can. Okay. That's why I use earbuds. Ha-ha, <laughs> I should have suggested this in the beginning. Um, oh, man. <laughs> OK. Well, I think it's all right. Um, yeah, it starts to just feel like, you know, you're really living in that dimension. It feels like a dream come true. It feels like heaven on earth to be really direct. It feels like heaven on earth. I can maintain a life that allows me to be who I really am in, in my fullest truth. I'm supported to be authentically myself. Uh, you know, the last activation really says it all. Uh, in response to this particular question. It was the Eight of Swords and um, and the Lover's card, or the two paths, you know? And it's all about, you know, what excuses are we making that's keeping us trapped from living our best life, meaning our best life as who we truly are, living a life where nothing's impeding our ability to, uh, you know, maintain a flow of virtuous light. I'm living in a space that supports that. What's more is I'm a part of a, you know, group of friends and family here in this town particularly at Chocolate Tree in Sedona, this amazing group of people who more than support each other to stay in that space. We're all like anchors for this new earth consciousness and um, you know, having a group of people who are all right there with each other striving in every way to maintain that frequency, amazing stuff happens. And I think that you know, while we all understand the activation from our own perspective every week, it's really interesting for me to get out of my own bubble and think of what somebody on the other side of the world might be thinking like wow well i have this job that doesn't let me you know make the higher choice in regard to that you know lovers too fast i have a relationship i have a society i have a corrupt government that, 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 that all the excuses as to why i can't be who i'm here to be and i don't feel that to any degree i feel totally free to be who i am and follow all of my morals and all of my beliefs. I feel supported, you know, interdimensionally across time and space. I feel absolutely empowered to be who we came here to be. Reminds me a little of, uh, I think one today, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a few hours. One of the many Oracle cards up there was Dolphin, which is happiness, number 42. And it was talking about how, oh gosh, these dogs. Um, it was talking about how, uh, they, you know, they surf, they ride down the waves. And it sounds like when you're in a group that's kind of hitting, jamming on the concrescence of the novelty, as McKenna might put it, um, there's a different type of magic. Like, looking at the beautiful beach is one thing. It's another thing to be a boat captain who knows high and low tide. It's another thing to be a surfer. It's another thing to be a surfer on the wave. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of just goes deeper and deeper in the appreciation. I'm sure it's very real. Um, so in terms of the royal path, uh, to row.com and kind of what your offerings are. And I mean, I didn't realize you were an author. I just turned into, I don't even know how I tuned into you. We have like almost 300 mutual friends on Facebook. So it's like, it's not shocking, I guess. Um, but at the same time, I think I just saw you live once and I was like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about what that's about. Let's, let's talk about the uh, Royal path. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Royal path is everything to row Royal path. Um, but I've been writing my whole life, my whole life, writing and drawing, art, all that. And as I got older and, you know, refined my path, 
and started understanding my, myself, myself more, I started writing and reading only very specific things, things that were for the mission, you know, purpose, mission, direction, you know, that very Capricornian energy, you know, talking about my North Node. North um, I'm also Mercury a beta Capricorn. Yeah, uh, yeah, like you just said, it's like you're not here to fuck around in a sense. I mean, you're having fun, but it's like, let's get serious. Yeah, I'm totally about the mission. All my friends know that. Uh, you'll almost never catch me out at like a gathering or something unless it's doing something very powerful for the collective. Um, you know, I was told many years ago that I was boring for this, but I live in a supportive community now. And I think the more I just leaned into who I really am in that regard, in that like Saturnian regard, um, more people respected me for that unique role. And it became more than okay. It became like an archetype in itself where people then, you know, they see me as this, you know, Rebecca magic, magic. And they come to me with that, you know, perspective, that projection. And it works because I, I believe in the magic and I'm here to help other people. Uh, sense the magic and start to play with it too. start to know that they are it, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I kind of just embraced that whole world and it just goes deeper and deeper. And so as I started down this path, like I had said earlier, um, there was like one initiation after the next and there still is right. It goes deeper and deeper, but there was one point some years ago now that the tarot, opened up one of those back doors for me. And it was the ability to be able to connect with certain people who've passed, but not in the way that I ever expected. I always was very curious about connecting to the other side, but I couldn't conceive of how I didn't find the purpose in it. There was just not the right time, you know, but I always stayed open. And then through the tarot, I learned how to connect with very particular minds. And they all happen to be orators and authors and, you know, scribes from across time. And so I got really deeper into the writing and the channeling. I mean, I'd fill up notebooks full, full of so many notebooks, full of concepts, ideas, strategies, codes, downloads. Um, and then one day I just got the hit, like you need to sit down and you need to write this book out straight. And so Royal Path One was kind of just this channeling that came out um, like in a, I believe it was like a week. Like I don't even remember. I, I barely remember doing it when I read it. I can't really even remember writing it. Um, it was like the message just needed to get out. I didn't care about if there's a typo. I just picked, you know, the night sky and it became like my favorite thing ever. But I just picked like a generic image. I was like, I don't care what this looks like. It needs to get out, you know? So it felt very much that like powerful rush of energy. And then a year later with book two, it was kind of that same energy where it's like, I got to get this out. And, um, you know, it's a lot of it is just directly from my own experience. A lot of it is, um, just strategies that I've never seen shared in other books and certainly not in such a simplified form. I mean, you'd have to read a lot of fat books to get to some of this information. So I believe that I was able to, through the you know, channeling of the archetypes, condense the information into what I believe is a more digestible format. You know, so that's what these books are. They go beyond the manipulations of all the modern decks. Yes, I use Rider Waite but I make corrections on them, I draw on them, you know, and it's because I'm taking what's already collective, going beyond the judgment of it as being bad, but, you know, honoring and acknowledging that this is what's most widely used and taking what is there and working with it, you know, working from the inside out.
So I, yeah, I use Rider Waite, but I teach people how to go through and beyond even any deck of cards, you know. Interesting you say that. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it specifically, Raphael, but um, aggregors, like the spirit behind the thing, like if enough people believe in something, it becomes kind of a thing in itself. There's so many people that are tuned in to Rider Waite. I think it's got its own momentum in a sense. What are some of the corrections in your own mind? I mean, you don't have to read the whole book or anything, um, but what are some of these corrections that you might have made or anything that you might tell us in terms of how to hack, you know, our readings or whatever? Yeah. So it's all in my books, of course. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this interesting fact that I don't know if I've ever mentioned this um, on video, but my chapter 15 on the devil is called The Black Magician. And in all other chapters i included both the rider weight or traditional name and the ancient egyptian name but for the devil i just i i'm not even kidding i forgot to put that in there so that was interesting to me that i didn't i'm not afraid to call it the devil just for the record i just don't i don't know what happened it just literally slipped out of there um and i do prefer than the ancient egyptian names because i think that you can call the card anything i mean you can call this high priestess killers, you can call it moon. I mean, there are many different words that are associated with that archetype. So there are going to be different names from different decks for that archetype, you know, usually revealing what the creator of that deck thought was the priority symbol of that card, which is interesting, right? So like, consider that. Um, but the ancient Egyptian names are sometimes I find more revealing of the deeper initiations in the card. Now take both names and you get even more perspective. That's why I like to use these cards, but kind of combine them. So for example, um, you have the chariot and in ancient Egypt is known as the conqueror. Okay, so both of those titles just kind of call you to dive into different aspects of the same one archetype. The chariot is referring to the vehicle, which is ultimately revealing the Merkaba. It's talking about the vehicle of ascension, right? You are the chariot. Um, but then the conqueror, that name asks us to look even deeper and see that we are the conqueror. Like wh where is the journey for? Where are we riding this chariot even to? You know, like what are we conquering? And it draws you in to think of it from an entirely different perspective. So I believe having both opens up the picture and asks you to go, hey, what else do you see in the card? You know, what are the other um, symbols here representing? You know, and then for example, you have the empress and the high priestess and that would be the two and the three. And so the high priestess, the two is called the veiled Isis. And then the empress would be the unveiled Isis. So I wrote those in here. And I love that because not only are these two related, all the cards are related. They're all one, they're all a sequence, but these two right here really paint a clear picture of that concept. Because it's just saying the high priestess is you know, the, um, the veiled Isis, where it's focused on what's within, the balance within. And then the Empress, very appropriate for today, for this episode, is the unveiled Isis, kind of giving you a hint that what we're talking about is that part of the story where we unveil what that balance represents. It's like a manifestation, right? Three is a number of creation, a reflection of that internal balance. So this is what's going on inside veiled Isis, as within, so without. You know, so I really love, I love 
diving into like Pinterest. I have a whole folder of tarot art, archetypal art. Oh my God, thousands of photos. Um, because then my mind categorizes them. It's just like for fun, I'll go on there, search tarot art. And there's so much out there and you could read different artists' depictions of the names and also see the colors they use. And man, I'm so about that psychology. I'm so about that. I hear you. Uh, that's one of, I was an art history dropout, so that's one of the reasons. I mean, I've got an E Ching deck, I've got all these tarot. I, Raphael was like, it's not like people walk around with tarot decks. It's like, bro, that's what I travel with. Like, I hide them in my guitar case, like, so they're not like well, heavy on my. That's personal. why I'm talking to you guys, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tarot is fun, man. It's like I honestly think it is like learning how to. Well, I mean, maybe not for everybody, but I really do think it taps into um, stopping bullets, like Neo style, where you're like, oh. Not that you have control, but you have greater understanding of the influence that you're a part of. Because I don't know if it's all about control, like I am Saruman and I'm going to control and I've, I've got the power. I think there's this like hubris to that that kind of turns dark magician really quick, like the double card you were saying, um, which is like the inversion of that's the lovers, right? Where it's like this is all good and you're anything's possible and dream on Gemini energy. And when you start like really trying to own it and control it and label it and produce it, it's more kind of Capricornic energy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but it's like, hey, I want to dominate the world or whatever, you know, that kind of energy. I want to, I want to be on top. Yeah, very Arcanum five vibes, very pirate vibe. Toast, yeah, toast. I, I would say it's it's more about um, accurate perception, interpretation, and response. You know, it has nothing to do with controlling anything really. But it ends up then things carry in your favor if you are more able to, let's say, interpret reality in your favor and act accordingly because you have some semblance of an idea of a map, you know, even if right. it's not entirely accurate, but you get some bearing or even understanding there's an up, there's a down, there's different challenges and you don't feel, you know, frazzled or uh, confused or uh, astounded because once you kind of know the royal path or whatever and it takes, you know, some tools and some understanding and some mapping, but um, it's fractal still. So at least to me, you can really, you can kind of build uh, an understanding and an attitude that assists you no matter how exactly the path will look because there's some patterns that appear to be the, the same, you know? Yeah. Yes. Like all of, once you know the underlying path, it makes everything very easy because now you're aligning your mind and your whole being really with the original pattern of all creation. So all of nature and the whole universe seems to all of a sudden carry you and support you in a process that before without awareness, you were more so swimming upstream, you know, in a way. And what's more is that once you form a bond with each of these archetypes and they all start to create a synergy within you, my goodness, the real goal of tarot is so that you can come to that place of wholeness and balance in all of your parts and all of your frequencies, all of your archetypes, your keynotes start to sing that song of the origins of creation, compassion, you know? And so what really happens is you, you acquire balance, you cultivate balance from the deepest part of yourself. And that's huge. I wanted to say that we're, I mean, definitely Jupiter conjunct sun shit right here. Cause I was sitting here thinking, um, I don't surf. I'm about to go to a professional surfer's house or something for a week and try it out, I guess, in Costa Rica at some point, uh, which is cool. Perks of having Jupiter and Gemini, or uh, Jupiter and Aquarius, rather. It's like, oh, I have weird friends, and I can do weird shit. Your son is there, so you live this anyway. Um, but while you were saying this, I had mentioned earlier, like, you know, the, the ship captain and the person on the pier fishing and the, you know, the driver by of the ocean, all very different relationships to the thing. Um, there's a different, you know, I haven't surfed, this is why I'm saying all this, but, like, point break, it's like, 
you could really get your shit knocked in the waves and die and drown if, like you were saying swimming upstream and once you start understanding the dynamics and knowing like where the reef is and like sharks are over there and like okay this is how you stand up you could ride the wave and what the while you kept on saying balance i had the pink floyd song um where the part of breathe which is on darks of the moon it's like balanced on the biggest wave and it's just like that's how we do this thing we have to use our senses but there's a weird both and about it it's like uh, Miles Davis, who's a, uh, I believe he was a Gemini also. Actually, I think he was an Aries of the Gemini moon. But anyway, um, Miles Davis is like, learn all the theory and then forget it. It's like, you got to know the structure. You really have to respect the dynamics, understand what's going on. Like, why is north not south? Why is winter not summer? Um, all this kind of stuff. Why is feminine not masculine? They're all part of one bigger thing. But once you understand the categorizational differences, I guess, the differentiation within the hexagrams of reality, um, if you cling to that, you'll just become this like draconic kind of like, you know, nah, nah, nah. it's like kind of boring. But I think the idea is right. like, you know, learn it all and then kind of just like jam. Um, right. Yeah, it's basically. sort of like sigils. You know, they say you want to create that symbol and then you want to forget it, set it and forget it. Because then that's the whole idea between like the 18 and 19, the moon card to the sun in the tarot. It, it actually describes this. It speaks to this. It says that you want to do the, that reprogramming, that inner work, the moon, and then you want to shine it as the sun, like the little you know, naked baby on the white horse, meaning you want to have integrated that so it's effortless and natural. And in that way, you can go ever deeper. If we focus too much on the thing, it's like that's the paradox of life. We have to kind of be... We have to be defining the peripherals to define the center. If we try to just stay in the center, we're going to forever miss the point. That's the irony, you know. Um, I also see it as like that fine balance of like, you know, we don't want to let our conscious mind get in the way of a process that is beyond the thinking, logical mind. We want intuition to be able to flow and we impede intuition when we bring in too much logic. So it's that balance between the sun and the moon and what those archetypes represent in us. And I see it as sort of also the tree of life versus tree of knowledge. It's like there's that fine balance. Don't, you know, don't get too much into that tree of knowledge because you're going to mess with the whole process. And that's okay too. And it's all beautiful and you're going to separate so that you can use your free will to choose to return and remember again. You know, so it's all connected, you know, and also the other thing is in response to what you said about we got to know, you know, the reef and this and that and we could be a better surfer. This is why I believe um, on the path of Judaism, it's taught that you need study, study of Torah. Like uh, you, you need to be a scholar. That's actually a part of the path. Um, I think that it's, it's not humble when we want to turn away from study. We want to deny study or the accounts of great ones who come before us. I see so many beings today who say, oh, I don't need a book. It's within me. Oh, yeah, books are cool and all, but I, you know, I don't really, we don't really need them. I could learn on my own from my intuition. Yeah, but everything is you and everything is your intuition. So study because anything you could study is yourself. So why would you turn away from books, which are like, super powerful and and why would you you know some people might say oh well manipulations i've heard this one i don't want other people's concepts messing up my intuition oh well honey if you're solid and your intuition is is reliant upon the truth which is universal and natural law then you have no reason to be worried about anything let alone manipulations there's no excuse so study is a huge part of this path yes we shouldn't deny what's been mapped out already what do you mean that's a head start that's amazing it's only us who wrote that anyway there's only one here right Raphael, did you want to say something oh so it is so it is figure you want to say something. so it is no so it is 
<laughs> it's funny because she was talking about the 18 to the 19 and that's very much high priestess to empress energy where it's like the hidden kind of secret things they do get seen in the light of consciousness one way or another at some point and i think we talked about this the other day but carl Jung was like there's what you know right the awareness the sun but then like anything outside of that sphere is really the unknown but like as your consciousness expands in a sense it replaces some of those zones of unknowing with knowing um, but the outside, it's infinite in a sense. It's like, you'll, you'll never know what you don't know. And like, you know, the whole meme thing where it's like, oh my gosh, things you know, things you don't know, things you don't know, you don't know, and all that kind of shit. It, it's a crazy <laughs> trip. Um, I'm kind of curious if there's anything we haven't touched on in terms of your story or your output um, that you want to. Like right now would be maybe a time to just make sure you're plugging your stuff and um, we can start kind of bringing the train into the station if you want. I could talk for hours. I don't know what the schedule's like, but I just cognizant of people have lives I'm, I'm chilling here doing not shit watching dogs right now in costa rica but other people have kids and lives and real stuff going on so um yeah if there's anything you wanted to say in terms of how people can get in contact with you what kind of services you're doing i saw you on facebook like a live so what what are those lives you're doing are they just like quarter moon activations or that kind of stuff plug plug away okay um yeah so those activations i kind of stumbled into that project and i've been really consistent and committed and i'm really grateful because uh that has brought together an amazing community of people from around the world um it's 444 right now <laughs> so <is> the donut <laughs> and so it's brought together it. what was that it's not just a dota. I think that's like, I mean, I don't want to be so cliche. Oh my gosh, 11, 11. But it's like, I was born at 10, 10 a.m. Once you start seeing the patterns, it's like, oh, it's just exclamation points at the end of the sentence. Uh, right. But yes, it's a very Sedona thing. Yes, it's not so much. Everything like, is uh, a synchronicity. So yeah, yeah. we can celebrate them all big and small. You know, it just further uh, ingrains that uh, that ability to pick up on those alignments, you know, to see those alignments. So anyway, um, so the weekly activations. So I started just, I kind of stumbled into it, like I said, and I started getting more consistent with it. It's been going on for years now. I don't even know how long. Um, we take the tarot and we take my Hebrew letter deck that I made and do a little reading. And it's usually just about three cards, more or less. And that meeting, that reading and meeting, global meeting, reveals a map that just offers us this uh, meditation and spiritual work kind of to do for the week and it's really cool when you unite with others especially in different parts of the world which have their own archetypal frequencies um it's quite the meeting of the archetypal alliance with all of us tuning in live and then all the beings who tune in after it's just as powerful because it's sort of like a portal that remains eternally open so it doesn't matter when you catch it really um so i do those every single week you had asked earlier about the moon and why I chose that. And it just kind of happened that way. I find that the moon is an easy way to measure time. It gives us four parts of the cycle, four quarters, which to me represents that structure. Four is, you know, the emperor, AKA the sovereign, the structure, the strategy, the pattern, the foundation, four legs to a table. So for me, the moon was obvious, you know, um, but, it goes beyond the moon. It's, it includes and encompasses all of the planets, all of the zodiacal archetypes. The tarot is the foundation for all of the other archetypes of the world, including all of the zodiac archetypes. They're all in there. All the number frequencies are summarized um, with the tarot. 
So I do, yes, these activations every week. And I also, uh, you know, I'm working on a few books right now. So I'll be publishing some more real soon. Um, one of them is a children's book. I also do one-on-one -on -one sessions. What was that? Oh, I just made an oh face. I didn't say shit. Mm. <laughs> it's like, give me books. <laughs> Get the kids turned on faster. Why not? It's like, uh, hi, God, it's Mary. What's going on? I mean, there's books about menstruation from the 70s. I don't even know what that book's called. But it's like, yes, let's wake kids up. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for the kids. And, and it's not just for kids, but, you know, it's really for the inner child, everybody's inner child. So I'm really excited about that one. I illustrated it. And I also do one-on-one -on -one readings. And that's really my favorite because I really see myself and everyone and everyone in me. And so when I do these readings for all different people, and I'm telling you, people reach out to me online and I don't look at their profile. I don't, I don't, I've never been one to do that. I don't analyze them. I often don't even remember their name. I don't care where they're in. I say, what's your time zone just for the matter of scheduling. But really, I don't even need to know where they are or anything about them. And I love that. Um, but it's archetypes to archetypes when we have these readings. And so people come and they'll ask questions and I'm not your typical reader. I won't say, oh, on the 27th of, you know, February of 2056, your man's going to leave you. You know, it's not like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't talk about things like that. It's straight to the archetypal realm. It's matters outside of time and space, timeless wisdom eternal truth and so people come they ask questions and what happens is i help them to connect to the archetypes i help to be a bridge for them to see the deeper questions behind the ones they're asking and then they can answer the questions themselves i never have to take away anyone's power i don't have to pretend to know anything about anyone it's just straight up them speaking their story and the archetypes reflect back to them the themes behind everything they're saying it's like a mirror a clear mirror and when that is reflected back to you whatever is not important whatever is extraneous or straight up false um falls away and all we have left are the truth in the form of the cards on the table you know so I, that's what i do i offer one-on-one -on -one readings um i offer the weekly activations my books um i offer you know, mentorship in many different ways, I'm not very consistent with one-on-one uh, -on -one lessons these days. Uh, I more so prefer to record courses and share those. So I have a whole course on the occult symbolism of the major arcanum. It's all in video form if anyone's ever interested in taking that. Two other random questions and then we can let you go. I was looking up the meaning of Rebecca in Hebrew. It means to tire, to bind interesting i didn't know i mean i'm sure you knew this but it's like james is jacob which is like wrestles with god so it's not surprising i'm always like what is god what is this all this shit uh rafael is like an angel i guess or whatever i don't know his meaning name although rafael you probably do know your name meaning um i was curious about the ink on your hands uh rafael what does your name mean it popped up like a little caterpillar from alice in wonderland oh it means uh god's healer or god's doctor it's okay, one of them cool. Yeah. Raphael, L is God, and then I guess Raph is Tegel or something like that. Uh, See, so this is where not knowing Hebrew really is my Achilles. It's like, oh, I can't Hebrew alphabet, by the way, I did once, like, many years ago when I got into tarot. I did a course, a basic online course on Hebrew alphabet. Definitely very fascinating and worth checking out. So, And the symbols look real cool. So, <laughs> there's, um, I want to know, yeah. I mean, you don't have to tell us about your finger ink. I saw some tattoos. I was like, is that... Like, are these power symbols or like what's going on here? And then um, I'll yeah. send you the links after this, but the uh, 21 Faces of God, you'll probably dig. And there's something from the Maru Foundation 
I'm not sure if uh, I forget his name, yeah. but there's a yeah, dude, the fire where it's like, oh my gosh, all the Hebrew letters are shadows of the one light or whatever. It's like, whoa, glad you know about that. So anyway, I was like, okay, if you're you're way down the rabbit hole, clearly. So anyway, um, yeah, if anything you want to say about your name meaning or any resonances there, um, and then uh, your tattoos, and then we'll call it a night. Okay, sweet. Yeah, um, my name means to bind, to tie together. Um, steadfast, strong, bridge. And I'm looking at all three of our names and then, you know, the many names and the names are infinite, right? And they're all different parts of the self. So I can see that, you know, I can see the Rebecca in each of you, you know? And I can see the Raphael. I could see, you know, we're all really those those same archetypes and we're just putting these names to them or these words to them you know and the the archetypal concept of binding has many names you know rebecca yeah bridge not you know these are all words for that same archetypal energy so yeah everything is revealed in a name you can also take the hebrew letter sounds take a word from any language and translate it into the the hebrew letters through their sounds and you can unlock or decode the essence of any word in any language. It's actually incredible, but it's only from an archetypal perspective. So it will sound kind of silly to people who don't really get that. You know, like, um, it, it's like, like we were talking about earlier, archetypal wisdom is so simple that people just miss the mark because they don't want to complicate it. But there is a simple essence behind every word and every name and Hebrew decodes that. On my right hand, it says Yisrael, it says Israel in Hebrew. Um, and then there's a little nine. I'm a nine life path, and so is my son. Um, and then on this side is just my son's name. It says, actually says Judah. <laughs> I've got an olive here, too. That's what's up, gang gang. Um, so, I, I mean, we don't have to go. I'm just like, I said we'd let you go. I'm like, oh, really quick. What is an example of maybe this Hebrew transliteration thing? Is it almost like gematria? Or like how uh, where you're kind of deconstructing it, or how um, if you're like oh cat, and here's how that you could I, I don't know if you have an, uh, like a an example off yeah. of your tongue. If you don't, that's cool. Yeah, no, I do. Like even my name Rivka, I actually didn't discover this until pretty recently. It was like a couple years ago. I was doing uh, my class on the divine feminine, and I was talking about a specific sequence within the tarot. Because you can take out any cards, even if they're not next to each other, and you can take them out and they'll tell a specific story within the sequence. Um, and so my name, Ravka, Rivka or Rebecca, um, you take the matching letters and then find their, um, their associative tarot cards. And it's literally the three from that sequence. And I'm going to explain that to you here. The second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the bet or the vet. makes the Rebecca or the Rivka. Um, so that's number two in the tarot. That's the high priestess. Then you have um, the, right, then you have, uh, that's the V. Okay, so we talked about the second letter. I skipped the first letter of my name. You have the Raish, the R. That Raish is associated with card 20, uh, judgment. And then you have the K, and that's 11, associated with actually strength, which is a manipulation. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but that letter, K, goes with the strength card. And so those numbers too, 11 and 20, all have a common um, numerical value of two. 
they can all be reduced to a two, right? And so that story of the high priestess strength and judgment is actually telling a story of the evolution of the high priestess. You know, she's maintaining the balance within, then you move to strength where she expresses that balance and that's her strength. Then you move to 20 where that mother, father within that the high priestess was guarding are now released and looking back and judging, you know? So my name tells a story of that sequence. You can take, um, you know, pillow or mushroom, right? The ma, sh, ra, ma, and you have those consonant sounds and then you put their correlating Hebrew letters and they tell a story. But you have to be able to interpret that story, so you have to have an awareness of the archetypes to do that. Last last question, I promise. Uh, do me and Raphael a solid. Hack our names. Tell us the cards that make up our names, and then we'll go ponder these things for aeons to come or whatever. So you were the originally you were saying you were the judgment, and then high priestess, and then strength is your name, right? Right. I'm putting you in the spot here. So if you were like, fuck you, man, that's like, I understand. Uh, like you might have thought no, about no, that's fine. Raphael, I think is three. And I guess James would be Jacob. It's kind of funny though, uh, Jim, because that's what I was just looking up right now. I was like, hmm, uh, I wonder. I, I like, never look, looked at it that way. My name is I'm Hebrew enough. Lazy, I can't find this. A source. It's like, look, I'll Google this shit and I'll figure it out if I have to. But if, if you could jam on it for a second, then you do. Well, this is why channelers get paid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So you could actually, you'll have to find, in order to go all the way, you'll have to get the exact spelling of your Hebrew name. And you can actually consider every letter beyond the consonants. But just doing the consonants alone is still very revealing. And I feel like there's a lot that can be done just with that. So for example, um, Raphael, just with like the, the, the harder sounds, the R, the Rach is also judgment. It's card 20. Then you have the F which would be like the pay, the fay, same one letter, two different forms, uh, which is 17, the star card. Then you have the la, the lamed, which is sacrifice or the martyr. Right? Do you follow? Oh, and yeah, lamed is, lamed is hanged man, right? Sorry, you got there, what was that? Yeah, Lamed is hanged man. Is that correct? Arc number 12? Or am I mixing it up? Yeah? Yeah. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Interesting so, little alchemy you got there, you know, Raphael. They're on the tarot. They also have, you know, their own symbols, their own hieroglyphic symbols. So the Ra, the Raish, would actually be a head, which is obviously a consideration of the divine. The representation of the, the godhead you know Ra. um i'm telling you beyond the tarot uh, beyond the hebrew to tarot association you know let's go just into the hebrew then the ba, the pay which is connected to the star card is a mouth so it's like the one telling the story you know and the la the lamed is like the heart it's the center of the whole alphabet it's higher than the rest it's the one that leads the way you see so you kind of can tell a story by putting them together. That's what's up. Well, any other tidbits you want to divulge or do we cover all the bases for, uh, we'd love to get you back on here. I don't know if there's people you want to talk to in a group context, or if you ever want to come on and uh, you know, read little things in particular from your book or any, any number of things, but um, it's been a pleasure having you. I thought you'd be cool. As soon as I saw you, I was like, Oh, we got to get this chick on. 
uh, and I've reached out over a few months. Is we, we, we got here. We got here. Finally. It took a minute. I was harassing you for a minute. I was like, yo, got to come on here. And, uh, I'm so glad it's yeah, no, dude, it's awesome. I'm, even with the technical glitches and all this stuff. So, uh, Rebecca Magic, ladies and gentlemen, um, any last kind of epitaph statement you want to leave people with in their mouth, feel free to say it now. I feel really for me to first your tarot card and oh. so you forget. Uh, it would be the. Uh, oh, we are terribly cutting out right now. Sorry, Rebecca. Can you kindly repeat no. your last sentence? <laughs> or, or did you hear okay. Jim? No, I thought it was just me cutting out because I'm used to being yeah. used for auditory. <laughs> it's like, oh, just part for course. Um, if you want to message it to me, you can, or you could try talking, whatever's clever. Try yes, talking yes, for a second. Let's try again. Let's try again. Yeah. This okay. <laughs> so I have a message to you. I have about your show, uh, name. But yeah, all I is you. I did really dialogue. I'm so sorry, Rebecca. I feel you have to message him because we hear about 20%. It's pretty hilarious, but yeah, <laughs> technology is really uh, If you type it in the private chat, we'll read your last statement if that makes it easier. Just be like, peace and shalom, or you know, it could be whatever. Um, we'll have to do it non-verbally. Yeah, this is what exactly. we have the video for. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Guys, Team Rabbit Hole, we out here. We're doing it. She's on the path, clearly. Raphael, he gets it. We've got his cards. I'll figure out my cards one way or another by damn it. Um, but yeah, further up and further in, y'all. Thank you so much for joining and thanks everyone for listening. Catch y'all in the now. Enjoy. <laughs>